So I want to share something with you this morning. I've, I've titled this message, Stories We Tell. And I've titled it that because we all have a story that we're telling. Um, a story of grief, a story of anger, a story of fear, a story of victory. We all have something that our life is saying. And, and oftentimes, it's the idea of the chapter that we find ourselves in right now. And here's what I want to remind you of this morning, that you may be living in a season of pain right now. You may be living in a season of grief. You may be living in a season of hardship. But I want to remind you that that's only one chapter of your life. It's only one part. And oftentimes, when you find yourself in immense pain or brokenness, or you're asking the question, why it feels like that chapter is just going to last forever. You ever tried to drudge through a book that you don't really like and you're reading one chapter and you're like, oh my God, is it done yet? Right? Sometimes that's how our life feels. Here's what I've learned is you can spend your life asking why. And do you know that those whys will never be answered? Uh, I shared the story in the, um, in the first service, but I, I'll just be transparent with you. I, I spoke with my, one of my brothers on the phone, my brother who lives in Nashville, and him and his wife have been trying to have a baby for the past two years. They can't get pregnant. My brother's had two surgeries now, trying to work it out, trying to figure it out. And every t his wife is a hairdresser, so she talks to people for a living, basically. You know? um, and so every time she's sitting with other people in a chair doing their hair, there's another woman that's like, I'm pregnant. And she's like, yeah, great, awesome. I hate you, right? You know? And, and there's, a, there's a genuine like, pain that comes up every time they hear about this, something that they're trying for. And you can ask God, like, God, this is a good couple trying to have a baby. Why? I remember a few years ago, there was a couple in the Jennings campus who delivered a stillborn baby, and I got to hold that baby in the hospital. And you go, like, man, this is a mother who spent nine months pregnant, nine months of all the body aches and all the pain, excited about a new life, and now she holds a stillborn baby. Why? Why? Can you get real honest for a moment? Have you ever asked that question, God, why? What, like, why am I going through this? Why this financial thing? Why this relationship turmoil? Why, 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 why? I want to point you to a psalm today. It's a psalm, if you grew up in church, or if you didn't grow up in church, you know it. It's Psalms 23. Um, and I think that this psalm is going to shed a lot of insight on what God really wants to do in our hearts today. Because it's, this Psalms 23 is kind of like David's masterpiece. It's the psalm that has so much hope and so much life in it that we read it over and over. And it's one of those pieces in the scriptures that we read and we go, yes, I love this one. It's a psalm that reminds us that though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that God is still with us. How many of you that's hopeful? Verse 6 says that surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life. And we, we read that, we go, yes, I love this. So I want to read it, but then I really want to dive into how David got to this place of being able to write such a hopeful song. Because it has something to do with the chapter that he was in before he got to this one. So let's read this, and we'll do a little backtracking. Psalms 23, verse 1 through 6. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. If you're reading on an actual paper Bible, I know that's quite archaic, but if you are, underline, you'll see, I think I did it. Look at all the different parts where it says, he leads me, he makes me, he restores me. Just keep that in mind, okay? He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Listen, this is the best news for some of you this morning. 
Like if you're de- tired and you're depleted, it says that the good shepherd restores your soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And I love this part. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now the tone of this psalm is is David seeing the Lord as a shepherd, a leader, a guide taking him through this journey. Now, Psalms 23 is so powerful, and it's been a light to my soul as of lately. But I begin to wonder, how did David pin such a masterpiece? What was able to get him to the place of writing something so hopeful? Here's the beauty of reading the scriptures, that you actually have the ability to wonder. Like, a lot of times we just read them, and we kind of like, okay, that's the holy text. We read it, and we just kind of move on. Start asking yourself the question, what was David thinking when he wrote this? What was he going through? What was he experiencing? Because this is a holy text that reminds us that God is with us through the highs and lows of life when we're asking all the questions of why and we don't understand that that he is with us in the valley of the shadow of death. How could David write something so beautiful? I think... The reason that David was able to do this is because before he wrote Psalms 23, he had to write Psalms 22. If you flip back one chapter, watch this, same author, same human being, one chapter before he writes 23, Psalms 22, verse 1 through 2, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? He says, oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. You ever felt like that? You do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Ironically, these are the same words that Jesus utters on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I am beginning to wonder if a true knowing of the shepherd comes from a true knowing of yourself. So, meaning this, the reason that David could write Psalms 23 is because he actually experienced the valley of the shadow of death. And here's what I want you to understand. Whatever hopelessness you feel right now, whatever dark season that you have walked through, if you are willing to allow the Lord to take you on a journey and not run away from the pain and reckon and own your own story, like, yes, that was my past. Yes, I walked through this. Yes, I did this. But you know what? God's with me. If you can get to that place, then you can get to Psalms 23. But here's what happens. We want to just jump right to Psalms 23 and go, I don't want 22, God. Right? But here's the truth. Until you can acknowledge the abandonment you've felt, the shame you've felt, the fear you've felt, the shepherd can never lead you to greener pastures. See, there is this beauty and self-awareness that goes, oh my goodness, I can't believe I've done those things but thank God he forgives me. That is a completely different outlook on life. Because here's what, if you're not careful, here's what the enemy will allow you to believe and buy into. Oh my God, I've done those things. God won't accept me. But Psalms 22 can get you to Psalms 23. Oh my God, I've done those things, but God still loves me. (laughs) He's still pleased with me. See, the truth is a sheep who cannot follow when it does not make sense will always wander astray. See, 
that is the part of following the shepherd that he's leading us. And can I be honest with you? Sometimes he takes you down a journey and you don't like the path. <laughs> You're like, God, I'm not sure I would have taken this road. <laughs> I'm not sure I would have went down this way. The truth is you can spend your life asking why or you can step back and begin to wonder and you can have some mystery even though you don't understand why God does some things, but you begin to understand that he is much bigger than your pain. He's much bigger than what you're experiencing right now. Can I be honest with you? And I'm not saying this to, to, to make light of this or to, you know, if you're walking through this, but there will always be somebody taken from us too soon. And for some of us, that's like, that's our story right now. And I'm so sorry that you're there. I'm so sorry that you're feeling that pain and you're asking the why. You know, sometimes it's okay to doubt. You know that? I don't know if you've ever had a pastor tell you that it's okay to doubt sometimes. It's okay to question. It's okay to, God, why? Because you know what? That's the valley of the shadow of death. But here's what we've got to anchor ourselves to. But he's with us. He's there with us. There's always going to be an opportunity to shake your fist at the sky and say, God, why, why, why? But here's what I want to invite you into this morning. Instead of asking why, could it be possible that God's calling us to choose wonder and mystery over the constant why? Because wonder and mystery lead you to the shepherd. Let me explain to you. If you want healing in the midst of your pain, you need rest. I'm not talking about sleeping more. I'm talking about soul rest. The type of rest that will lead you to wonder and mystery. The type of rest that will lead you to a place with connecting with the God that you first fell in love with. So let me define soul rest for you for a moment. And I'm not going to give you a specific definition because it looks different for all of us. I I'm going to tell you what it was like for me these past two weeks. Soul rest was getting to the hotel and putting our phones in a safe and locking them up and having no access to the outside world. Soul rest was laying on the balcony at night and looking up at the stars, and they're so bright. And if you look hard enough, you can see stars literally shooting across the sky. It was my wife and I arguing over what constellation was what. <laughs> and I was right. That's wrong. I'm lying. She was right. It was waking up at 9 a.m. with no alarm clock and drinking four espressos and feeling really jittery after. It's sitting in a moment of just enjoying the moment with the woman or the person that you love and talking about the deeper things of life. It's taking a moment to steal everything down and to sit underneath a tree and feel the shade hit you in the face and hear God whisper to you again like, I'm so pleased with you. It's even taking a moment to sit in silence and solitude and feel the fear and the pain. And to go, you know, I, I am angry. I am frustrated. I am bitter. And then you take all that and you say, God, I don't know what to do with this. And you give it to him. And you don't know what that looks like. Like, God, I don't know what it looks like with me giving it to you, but I'm going to trust you with it. Could it be that David was able to write Psalms 23 because he owned his story in Psalms 22. Because he said, God, I do feel abandoned. I do feel rejected. I do feel pain. 
I find it interesting that David, who actually authored parts of the scripture within the Psalms, this holy text that has been literally read for millennia, (laughs) that in Psalms 51, he literally outs himself. He calls himself a murderer and an adulterer. I don't know about you, but but if I was writing Holy Scripture, I might leave that part out. (laughs) Now, why would I leave that part out? Because it doesn't really make me look like a good Christian, does it? But David understood the power of, no, 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 those things that I did, yes, it's what I did, but they're not going to control me anymore, and the only way that they don't control me is to own it. Yeah, that's what I did. Yeah, that's that's who I was, but it's not who I am anymore. It's who I was, Here's the problem with most of us, though. We have things that we regret. There's certain chapters in our story, and we're not owning it. And so the reason that we still feel trapped is because that is what's defining us. If you're unwilling to own your pain, here's what I've learned. Eventually, it will own you. It'll define your life. It'll be the lens that you put on every single morning and how you view the world through your pain, through your brokenness, the truth is, pain is a beautiful thing that can lead you to immense wonder. I remember one of the nights we're sit- sitting on the balcony and we're looking up at the stars, and I just begin to have this thought, like, those are literally light years away. There's literally galaxies and planets, things that your naked eye will never see. And then I begin to have the thought of like, wait, hold on. We're one of those little tiny blue dots in the midst of all that. And as far as I know, we're the only thing in this galaxy, (laughs) in the universe. I begin to marvel and begin to wonder like, wow, God is so much bigger than what I can see right now. He's so much bigger than the anger I feel. He's so much bigger than the pain that I feel. He's so much bigger than all of that. And yes, there's things that I don't understand, but I can surrender to the why because God's bigger than it. The pain of Psalms 22 is what produced the beauty of Psalms 23. So could it be that the chapter that you're in right now is just a setup for the next one? That the darkness is a setup for the beauty. That the pain is a setup for the victory. That what you're dealing with right now, is it bad? Yes. I'm not trying to make light of it. Because listen, I've, I've been there. I've walked in that season of feeling like this chapter is not going to end. I've walked in the season of God going, why? I don't understand. This doesn't make any sense. And now I'm at a place of stepping back in this immense wonder and going, man, God, I just want to know you like I used to. Like when I first fell in love with you and there was nothing that got in the way. This unbridled passion and desire to pursue the Lord. That comes out of you pausing and you stopping, and you resting, and you not buying into the American lie that what makes you worthy is how much you work and what you do. Listen, if God rested on the seventh day, you need to too. We're not a machine. We're not robots. God did not design us just to continue to push. I love how Charles Spurgeon puts it. It says, it's only after we have read my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me that we come to the Lord as my shepherd? What is Spurgeon saying in that moment? He's saying, 
you don't know the Lord as your shepherd until you've walked through the valley of the shadow of death. Because might, he might have led you down some roads in the beginning. Like It's like when you first get saved. Anybody remember that? You're like, this is so awesome. And then you usually go through this valley where you're like, wow, this is not what I thought it was going to be. This is hard. And then all of a sudden, God begins to lead you on this journey of refining your character, <laughs> of refining some things in your life. And then you begin to realize, man, I wouldn't trade that season of pain for anything. So here's what I want to do, and here's my hope for the rest of this time. Is I want to take Psalms 23, and I want to break it down verse by verse. I don't have like five points or anything like that, just the scriptures. I want to break it down, and my hope is this as you read it that whatever chapter that you're in, in your life right now, that you can see the beauty and the mystery in this and that the only way that David could write this is he was willing to own parts of his story that didn't make him look like a good Christian. I'm, I'm quite sure after he started owning some things that he did, he wasn't well accepted in the religious community after that. <laughs> but there's this point where you just, you don't care anymore. You get to, like, I don't care what other people think. The only thing that I want is freedom, and I care about what God thinks. So verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's such a beautiful verse. It's also so misunderstood. Because we read the last part of it, and it says, I shall not want, and that's a beautiful thing, and it's true. You go on a journey to follow the Lord. This is that, that void that you feel that emptiness that you've been trying to fill, take your life and try to fill it with something, like God feels that. There's no more wanting of like what, what, else, what is going to fulfill me. The part that we don't like, it says the Lord is my shepherd. This also requires, if the Lord is going to be your shepherd, it requires full submission to him and his plan and his journey. So meaning this, you become a part of his flock, you're not your own. So that means he's going to lead you down some things and you're not going to like it. <laughs> he's going to take you on a journey to do some things that you're uncomfortable with. Let me explain it to you like this. So maybe like you're committed to that man or that woman. You love them. You sleep with them. You live together. You all this stuff, but you're not married. And I'm not casting shame on anybody that's right there, but I want you to think about this for a moment. Why would God fully bless your relationship if you're not fully submitted to him? We want God's full blessing, but we're not willing to fully submit. And I know, I know this is not popular in church. We're like, I don't like that part. And I'm not saying this to cast shame if that's you or whatever. Listen, we, we all make decisions that we're not proud of, and we all do things because sometimes we think it's the best thing to do. I am just, it's not my job to make you do something. It's my job to just offer the scriptures to you, and it's your job to make a decision on what you need to do next. But here's what I want you to consider. Is are there things in your life where you're not fully submitted to God and it, could it be the reason that's why you don't have the full blessing of the Lord in your life? Because you haven't pushed every chip in. Because here's, it, it, in just my experience, to be honest with you, I can't tell you how many times in life where I'm like, God, I'm all in, but I'm gonna keep these two chips. <laughs> just for safety <laughs> and security in case you don't come through. These ones are mine. And God's like, no, no, I want those two too. No, he can't have Okay, I'll give you one. <laughs> right? 
And, and that's usually how it works. And God's like, no, I want that one too. Okay, let me break this one. I just want to keep half. <laughs> could it be that before you could get to Psalms 23, you got to experience Psalms 22? Could it be that the reason that we don't fully submit is because we live in a culture that is so terrified of commitment? What if it doesn't work out? Well, what if it does? What if it does? What if God blows your mind? And what if God does something that you thought that he could never do? Here's what I've learned. When I'm, when I'm trying to hold chips back, I think that I have a better plan. And the truth is I end up causing myself way more pain than was necessary. And God's like, if you would have just given me those two in the beginning, this would have been a whole lot easier. But all right, buddy, buckle up. It's about to get painful. And, and here's what I've learned. Within seasons of pain, here's what we do. All right, God, take the chips. I don't want them. <laughs> you can have the other two. Because you end up causing yourself enough damage that you just willingly give it to him. Verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. This is interesting language that David uses. He makes. <laughs> it's not like God says, here, I bring this offering to you. Lie down. No, it says, he makes you lie down. Now, why does he have to make us lie down? Well, the, the scriptures often compare us to sheep. I know this is not an awesome comparison, but we're very similar. So I did some research. Um, there's four things that sheep need in order to actually lie down and rest. Now, just listen to them and think about your life for a moment, okay? Four things. If they are timid, they will not lie down because they're afraid. So they go, God, I don't know how this is going to pan out. Not going to rest. Two, the second one, they are social animals, so they will not lie down if there is friction among the sheep. Like me and sheep one and two, we're not getting together. <laughs> it's not working out. There's friction. Number three, if flies or parasites trouble them, they will not lie down. This is a symbolization of all the outside stresses that we have going on in life. And it says, finally, if sheep are anxious about food or hungry, they will not lie down. Doesn't that sound like us? It sounds like us because here's the truth. We always have a reason of why we can't rest. We always have a reason of why, like, well, God, like, I would love to enjoy the greener pastures. I just don't have time. So God goes, okay, really? Now I'm going to make you. So here's what he does. He causes circumstances in our life. He allows them. He doesn't cause them, but he allows circumstances in our life to happen. This is why sometimes we go through things that don't make sense because God loves us so much. He has a better way for us. He says, I got to make you lie down. So he allows certain things in our life to happen where we go, whoa, 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 whoa. What is this? This wasn't in the cards, God. This wasn't in the plans. This is not what I wanted. And he goes, I know, but you need to rest. <laughs> you, you need to do some soul work. You need to dive into the depths of your heart. Here's what's crazy. Rest finally comes because the shepherd has dealt with fear, friction, flies, and famine. The only Listen, you're always going to have life going on around you. You will always have a reason of why you can't take a day off or why you can't connect with the Lord. So the only way that you can really rest is this. You have to rest in knowing that the shepherd is taking care of all those things for you. 
that he's fighting your battles. That even when you feel like, God, like I just need you to work on my husband and his temper and his anger. And when you feel like I got to be all up in that situation, I got to remind God saying, just leave it alone and let me take care of it. And then he says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. If you were to read this as a Hebrew person, still waters would read waters of rest. So here's what God is saying. He's like, I want to take you to a new chapter. I want to take you to greener pastures. I want to move you to waters where your soul can just go, man, this gives me the fuel to keep going on. Let me give you an example of what a lot of us look like. If you were to take a kettle and you were to pour cold water in it and put it on a hot stove, eventually that water would start to boil. Now, if you left that water just boiling for hours, what's eventually going to happen? All the contents in that kettle will be gone. It's proof that you can't stay on high forever. Here, so let me explain it to you this way. The reason that you show up in certain areas of your life, so you open the scriptures and you feel nothing. You try to connect with your spouse, you feel nothing. You try to connect with the Lord, you feel nothing. Because you're running on high and there's no contents left in it. There's no depth left in it. There's no soul left in it. Because you've been on the go, going, going, because we bought into the lie that our worth is what we do and how much we accomplish. It's the biggest lie that the enemy could tell you right now. So we're trying to get stuff done. We're running around like a chicken with our head cut off, whatever that means. <laughs> and we got the flame on high 24-7, and God's saying, hey, you need to fill the bucket. <laughs> There's no contents left in here. You're not designed to stay on high forever. So what do I mean by this? You'll never know the waters of rest unless you practice the ancient art of the Sabbath. You know the Sabbath is actually one of the Ten Commandments? But you know what we've done in America? We go, well, that's Old Testament. It just doesn't apply to me anymore. Like, I know that there's this thing as the old, the old Covenant and the New Covenant, but there's certain principles in the Old Testament that still apply. Like if God rested, we need to rest. So this leads me to verse 3. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So what does this mean? He's saying, are you tired? Are you weary? Do you feel empty? Do you feel like you're trying to connect with God and you're not getting anything out of it? So you've got to learn how to rest. Like I said, it's not just sleeping more. How many have ever, like, I just need some sleep, and then you go sleep, and then you wake up the next day, and you're like, I still need more sleep. That's not the issue. The issue is you haven't settled down long enough to quiet the stuff in here. So let me give you something, um, Claire and I, we, we took from Pete Scazzaro, and he, he, he explains the Sabbath as four things. Because I think we've made it so complicated as what that looked like. What does a Sabbath even look like? Number one, it's not a day off. Meaning it's not the day where you go mow your lawn, you go work out at the gym, you go pay your bills, you run around. That's not restful, is it? That's still work. A Sabbath is preparing the day before and getting to a day where you do four things. Number one, you stop. All work. 
And I know what some of you are thinking. You're like, my life doesn't allow for that. I can't stop. Can I tell you this? You won't make it 20 more years if you don't. Because you'll arrive 20 years from now and be a shell of a person. So one, it's stop. And then number two, you rest. So the beauty of it, maybe you wake up at nine and then you go take a nap at 12. (laughs) And listen, I know that there's variables to this. Some of you are like, I have kids. I have six. I know that there's variables to this. So my wife and I decided our Sabbath, I changed my days off, it's going to be Monday. Guess what? My kids are in school on Monday. (laughs) Sometimes you got to work around it. Sometimes it doesn't always fit the idealistic way of the way you want it to look. So you stop, you rest, and then the third one, you delight. So what does this mean? Like, take a day to make your senses come alive. Go to that new restaurant and eat some good food. Drink a cup of coffee. Listen to some music. Read a book. Read your Bible. Get in nature. Go on a hike. Do something that where you put your phone away. You're not into technology. You're not working. You've stopped. You've rested. You've delighted. And if you can do, do these three things, guess, guess what's going to happen at the end of the day? You're going to start contemplating. You're going to get to a place where you go like, man, that food was awesome. Have you ever taken a bite of steak and you're like, thank God for steak? Like, thank God, thank you for meat. Thank you that I am not a vegetarian. (laughs) Or keto or gluten-free, whatever all that stuff is. But you start to do that enough, here's here's what it's going to lead you to. You start wondering. It leads you to a place of mystery, like, wow, God really is good. Like, he created all this stuff for me to enjoy. Like, there's a world out there that is for us to delight in, for us to awaken our senses, because it brings us to a place of mystery and wonder where you actually, when's the last time that you looked up at this guy and went, man, I am so small, but God loves me so much? You begin to marvel at just like the little details that God puts in to the earth so that we could breathe. <laughs> Isn't it crazy? Like if, this, if the sun was actually just a few more miles closer to the earth, it would burn it up. If it was a few miles further away, it would freeze to death. You start looking at all the fascinating things and you go, wow. Like God is so big and here's what it leads you to. God's bigger than my pain. God's bigger than my fear. God's bigger than my shame. Sabbath, what would it look like if you took a day, not a day off, but a Sabbath every week? How many of you say that, man, that would probably free me up a lot? It would give me the fuel that I need. Now, now here's, here's the problem, and trust me, I've been it. I've done it. Here's the problem that many of us are gonna face right now. Amen, good idea, not doing it. I've been there. I don't, I, I've, I've bought into the excuse that I don't have time. I just want to warn you now, if you feel depleted a year from now, it's because you're not doing this. It's because you're not doing this. Verse 4, even though I walk, circle that word, walk, 
Through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I love how David says walk. He doesn't say run. He doesn't say even though I run through the valley of the shadow of death. You can only walk if you're comfortable with the shepherd. You can only walk if you're confident that he's got you. You can only walk through the valley of the shadow of death if you're confident that God knows what he's doing. Here's the problem, though. Many of us experience the valley of the shadow of death, the pain, the darkness, and we go, God, get me out of here fast. Now. I don't want to walk through nothing. (laughs) I want to run through it. Like, teach me what you need to teach me and let me get out of here. But you run because your pain turns into doubting. You run because your mystery turns into, I don't know if God's that good. You run because you start buying into the lie that, yeah, God's good, but he just, not for me. But you must remember, and this is what I've had to remember in the most painful times of my life, if I'm truly going to trust the shepherd, he's allowed me and he's led me to that place. If he got me there, he can get me out of it. So you walk slowly, embracing every part as the shepherd holds you in your pain, teaches you that the shadow of death is only there to mature you. And then, and only then do you realize that the rod that the shepherd holds was never meant for you in the first place. This is why, why why would he write, your rod and your staff comfort me? I don't know about you, but the rod seems like, get over here, sheep, like bop you on the head with that thing. The rod was never meant for the sheep. The the rod was actually meant to defend the wolves. (laughs) The rod brought the sheep so much comfort that as long as that shepherd has that, nothing is coming to attack me. So the shepherd would stand there firm with that rod saying, look, I got you. Just stay with the flock. Follow me through the journey. I know there's going to be some scary parts, but I got this and anything that's coming for you, I got it. And that's how we have to look at God. He's a good shepherd. He's never going to lead you through a season to lead you astray. He's going to lead you through seasons that feel like he's left you astray. He's going to lead you through seasons where you go, I don't like this. But he loves you enough to grow you up. Here's Here's what we have to learn to leave in the church. And this is what's plaguing specifically the American church right now. Is there's so many people sitting in pews and seats that have never grown up. They've never grown up. Can I tell you why we don't grow up? Because we're not willing to own our story and we're not willing to embrace our pain. So we sit in it. We allow our pain to define us. We go, this is just the way that I'm going to be. This is just my life. These are the cards I was dealt. These were the circumstances that I was in. Could it be that God brought you through all that for a reason? Because he loves you so much that he's not willing to let you stay there. Verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. I don't know about you, but when I'm in a battle, I don't want to sit at a table and eat anything. (laughs) Because what he's signifying right here is God just saying, slow down. I know life is crazy around you. Just enjoy my presence. Eat a meal with me. I'm like, can I just pick up fast food and get out of here? I want to run through this. God's saying, there's always going to be a reason. There's always going to be an excuse. You've got to learn to enjoy my presence in the midst of life. 
So here's what God would echo. I know you're fighting, but come sit, enjoy. I'm fighting your battles. There will always be a reason to stay on the move. But listen, if you can learn to take a break, if you can learn to Sabbath, if you can learn to rest, like soul rest, you can get to verse six. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So I want to close with this. Just savor for a moment this thought. Goodness and mercy following you forever. Savor the thought that no matter what you've done in the past, that it doesn't define you anymore. What would your life look like? What would your story look like if you weren't defined by your pain, your shame, your guilt, things that you regret? How free would you feel? There was no deep, dark secret that you had down in your soul that you've never told anybody. Can you imagine the freedom that you would feel? You know that's available for you? For you to be able to savor the goodness and mercy of God and it starts with some pain, some owning parts of your story that you don't want to admit, parts of your story that you don't, you're not proud of, you don't like. I got them too. I got chapters in my life and I'm like, ah, I, don't want, I don't want anybody to know that one. We all have them. We all have a story that we're telling, but I don't know about you, but I want mine to be one of goodness and mercy. Because here's what's crazy. Psalms 51, David writes, I'm an adulterer and I'm a murderer. And God still calls David a man after his own heart. Because David chose not to allow that to define him. Now, I'm quite sure that he had to deal with significant pain. He had consequences. His son tried to kill him. (laughs) son tried to take his kingdom. There's all kinds of things that played out because of his sin. It wasn't because God was angry at him. It was because he still had consequences for what he did. But what what would it look like if you had nothing to hide? Then you could savor and enjoy the fact that, man, God is a good shepherd, and he could lead me anywhere, and I'll be okay. He can lead me down whatever path. And though I may not agree with it, though I may not like it, I'll be okay. Because he is a good shepherd. So let me close with this. I didn't say this in the first service, but I feel like I need to say it here. God is not your father. And I mean that. He's not your earthly father. He's nothing like him. I had a great dad. Many of you probably did have a good dad. Some of you maybe didn't. Some of you were dads, and maybe you have regrets about the father that you were. Can I just be honest with you? God's nothing like you, and he's nothing like your father. So here's what this means, and I'm not saying that to cast shame on anybody. I'm saying this to say this, that he doesn't abandon you. He doesn't leave you. He doesn't get frustrated and angry. I I can't tell you how many times as a father I have blown it. God, I've blown it so many times with my kids. Said things that I regret. Stared at a phone too long. I've heard my kids say to me, Dad, why do, why do you stay on the phone more than spend time with me? Ugh. I've blown it. But I constantly have to remember, like, wow, man, God's nothing like me. <laughs> He's nothing like me. He doesn't fail me. He doesn't lead me down a path that he always has a way out for me. He's nothing like my father, my earthly father. But Dad's a great dad. 
My heavenly Father doesn't fail me. He doesn't forget about me. He doesn't cast me away when I make a mistake. He doesn't shame me. He's pleased with me and he loves me regardless of what I've done. And so it gives me the ability to be able to come to him wherever I'm at in life because he's a good shepherd. 